Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. The last three weeks we've been looking at First Peter, Second Peter chapter 1. Talk about the foundation of our faith and how we can stand firm in our faith. We talked about our salvation. We talked about how we get it, what we do to grow in our, found, in our faith, and we talked about where we find it in God's Word and the foundation that we have in God's Word and how we trust it and we believe in it. Now in chapter 2, Peter takes a, a turn to another discussion. He talks about false teachers uh, that will be in the church amongst us. We're living in a day of false teachings in the church and the world around us. You could say that religion today is kind of like a zoo. You have people of every stripe and every shape out there. If you, want a, if you want a religion that tells you there is no hell, there's a church out there that will teach you there is no hell. If you want a religion out there that will allow you to have drugs and live a life of drugs and sexual promiscuity, there's a church out there that you can find that will allow you to do that. If you want to uh, have a total disregard for God's Word and don't care about what God's Word said, there's a church out there that will tell you you can disregard God's Word. Anything you want to believe, there's a church out there that you can find that will help you believe that. We shouldn't be surprised. Jesus said there are going to be false teachers in the world. There's going to be false teachers among you. He said they will appear as sheep in wolves' clothing. And Paul said the same thing when he's talking to the church at Ephesus. He says, there's going to be false teachers that are going to be among you. They're going to come into the church like ravenous Wolves. So what we'll see taking place in the world today is nothing more than a fulfillment of Scripture. It's fulfilling what God's Word said years ago. So Peter's words this morning are timely and they are instructive. They help us to know how can we combat this? How can we combat the false teachers that are so prevalent? So look in your Bibles at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-9 through 9, as we look at these words this morning under the heading, Watch out for false teachers. Notice what Peter writes. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They were secretly introduced destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth in the disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on his ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, <coughs> and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment." Three truths. Lots of truths. I'm just going to give you these three, all right? False teachers defect from the truth. Look at verse 1. 
There were also, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. He says, in the Old Testament, they had false prophets. And now Peter's saying, listen, there's going to be false teachers today among you. He probably calls them teachers because they didn't consider them prophets, but they're still teaching false truth. Then he says, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. What is a heresy? A heresy is anything that departs from truth. The literal root of the word heresy means to choose. It means to choose something over something else. You choose something to believe over what God's Word says. You decide to believe what you want to believe rather than what God says is true. When you do that, it's called a heresy. It's called a heresy. Choosing to believe something counter to God's truth. So the question comes up, what's so serious about heresy? You know, what is this? There's people out there teaching it. You know, what are we supposed to do with it? Notice what he calls these heresies. He calls these heresies destructive heresies. In other words, he's talking about eternal issues. He's talking about the difference between heaven and hell. Eternal, uh, eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. Punishment or forgiveness. This is what he's talking about. He says, when he's talking about these heresies, he's talking about those heresies that separate people from experiencing life eternal with Christ or life eternal without Christ. That's what he's talking about. He said, these are destructive. He's talking about eternal issues. And the Bible's clear about the defection. Notice the manner in which they come in. He says, they were secretly introduced destructive heresies. They come in secretly. He says, they're going to be among the church members. Uh, They're going to be right there in in the middle of the group, secretly coming in and doing these things. Jude, verse 4, explains it even more. He says, certain men have slipped in among you. Don't get caught up on the word men. It's certain people have crept in among you. Jude says, listen, they're going to creep into your schools. They're going to creep into your seminaries. They're going to creep into your churches. I heard about a church in Canada who their pastor became an atheist, and the church still decided to keep her as their pastor. She's an atheist, and they kept her as pastor. So he's talking about how they do it. They they come in secretly. They're slipping in in the side of the church. They're coming in the back door. Some of them even come in the front door. And they speak truth along the way. They give you just enough truth that you think that they might be onto something. Just enough truth to be believed. But listen, just because they speak truth occasionally does not mean they're representing the truth. Remember, Satan knows Scripture. Satan knows how to deceive people. Satan knows. He disguises himself as an angel of light, and he gives just enough truth to make people believe it. All you got to go back and look at the temptation in, 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 uh, in the wilderness. How many times did, did, did Satan say, does not God say that he will protect you if you fall? He said, yes. He said, did not God say he will provide for you? Man should not live by bread alone, but every word that lives out of his mouth is the way Jesus was. Satan will trick you with just enough scripture to think that it's true. He says, you got to watch out for these people because they come in secretly. They slip in. He says they're defective in their message. In verse 1, he goes on. He says they were secretly introduced destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord 
who brought them. That's an interesting statement. This verse opens up numerous possibilities. Or are these believers who lose their salvation? Or are these believers who fall away? If we believe that's what the Scripture says, we've just opened up a kind of can of worms. Uh, because we've just denied salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not of works. So, so we've, we've got to figure out what it is. He calls them false teachers. It means that the false teachers, he means they're not saved. And as we continue through the passage in the next three weeks, you will see, clearly see these individuals are not saved. Yet, he says, they deny the Lord who bought them. In other words, God went into the slave market of sin, he bought them, but they're denying that he bought them. The key to understanding this passage is the phrase, sovereign Lord. That is the key for understanding. He says, they were even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Here's the point he's trying to make. When Jesus Christ purchased you, he purchased you, and the Bible says you are bought with the price, therefore honor God with your life by the way you live your life. Because you're bought with a price, you are to honor God. These individuals were denying that Jesus owned them. They were denying that Jesus bought them. Said we were set free to do whatever we want to do, to say whatever we want to say, do whatever we want to do, and we don't care about God, so they're denying the sovereignty of God over their lives. Listen, you do not belong to yourself. You belong to God. But when you deny that, you're denying the very salvation that he gave you. He said, these individuals deny it. Listen, it's in every church. In every church, there's always these individuals that are heretics. Though they call on Jesus as Lord, they are diso their disobedience shows that he never knew them. You don't believe me? Listen to the words of Jesus. You don't listen to the words of the pastor. Listen to the words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, Verses 21 to 23, Jesus himself says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, he's talking about the day of judgment, many of them will say on that day of judgment, when that time comes, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? In other words, God, we did great things for you. Uh, we did great things. But notice what he says. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Thus saith the Lord. These are individuals that make their way into the church and they give every impression that they are believers. But when you start looking at their actions and you start looking at the way they live their lives, say, these guys are not believers. They're false believers. They're false teachers. They defect from the truth and they need others to defect as well. They choose to follow their own path and reveal they never knew Jesus to begin with. I hate to say it, but when you come to Jesus and you call Him Lord, Lord, it's His will be done, not your will be done. That's an oxymoron. You can't say, no, Lord. <laughs> the minute you say, no, He's not your Lord. If He's your Lord, it's, yes, sir. Immediately, I will follow you. I will obey you. 
Not only do false teachers defect from the truth, it says false teachers deceive the people. Look at verse 2. He says, many will follow their shameful ways. Many will follow. He says they have the ability to deceive. It's amazing how many people will follow these false teachers. Here in Waco, we think of a man by the name of David Koresh. And we think about how many people he led astray by his teaching. We go back further in time, we think of a man by the name of Jim Jones who had his disciples and he, they were here in America and he followed him and then he led them to leave America. They went to South America and eventually the poison was in the Kool-Aid and he got them all to drink the Kool-Aid. Many people will follow their teachings. How do they get people to follow them? How do they get people to follow their teachings? Notice what he says, many will follow their shameful ways. The word shameful ways means a low morality. They will look at this and say, oh, that's attractive. I think I want to live that way. I want to live in a bad way. Understand something, my friends. False teaching leads to false living. And the same is true. False living leads to false teaching. False teachers will lead people toward a low form of morality. And we are witnessing this truth in the religious world today. It's rapid in, in our culture, and it's spawned in many of the churches that we have that have a low influence on, on ethics, that have a low influence on morality. Now, you're saved. <coughs> you're saved. It's okay. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Go and live any way you want to live because you can all come back on Sunday and make it up again. They're saying it doesn't matter how you live. For some people, I don't know if it's necessarily, it might be true in this church. Some of you, this is the only church you know. Uh, you were born in this church. You were raised in this church. You were baptized. You were saved in this church. You were baptized in your church. Your goal is to die in this church. Not literally in here. Uh, you know, uh, not literally in here. You're going to die in this church. You don't know about other churches. You don't know what's going on outside these walls. I want you to, I want to, want you to know there is heresy being taught in churches, that there's false teaching being taught in churches, and it's evident by the way that Christians live. Evident by the way they live. Many are following the shameful ways, and then what they do is they claim God's blessings on their shameful ways. I remember in one church where I pastored, this happened after I pastored, okay, after I left the church for another church. Actually, I went to the Missionville, but we had a, 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 two couples in our church, and one wife decided she liked the husband of, the, of, of another couple. So they began having a fling, if we can use that word, you know what I mean. They began having a fling. And then eventually said, well, you know, we're in love, and we're so happy. This must be God's will because we're so happy. And they both divorced their spouses and married each other. In another church where I served, I had a good friend. We met every Wednesday for coffee, and we talked about Scripture, and we talked about church. You know, for an hour and 15 minutes, we'd pray and, and talk together. He was a minister, and he eventually told me one time, he said, I don't think God wants me to be buried my wife anymore. I'm not happy. And I said, it's not about your happiness, brother. It's about your holiness. It's about your holiness. He said, I'm not happy. And I know that God wants me to be happy. So I'm going to divorce my wife because that makes me happy. Listen, 
false teachers, false believers will use the scripture to justify their actions. To justify, as I say, it's God's blessings. Paul makes a devastating statement in Romans chapter 2, verse 24. Listen to what he says. God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Here's what Paul is writing. He's writing to the Jews in the church at Rome. And he says, listen, you Jews, your reputation out there is so bad that the Jews, the Gentiles don't even want to come to God. Let me put it in a modern-day vernacular, a modern-day expression. We Christians live such horrible lives that those who are non-Christians are not attracted to Jesus. They're not attracted to Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. They're bringing shame to the name of Jesus. When Jesus saved you, there is to be a change in your life. If there is no change in your life, you better go back and see, was I ever saved to begin with? And they're deceived by the ways that they do it, but they're also deceived by the words. Look at verse 3. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. They will exploit you. The word that they're using here was actually that they're trained. They're trained in this. They're professionals, he says, in their in their greed, in the, and they will export you. It's a, a professional training. They've got this down to a path. They know how to take advantage of you. In their greed, they will be able to do this, and they'll tell you stories to manipulate you. All it is to them, it's about how much money can I get out of you? How much money can I manipulate you for? It's all about money. Not my word, the word of God. That's what it says. In their greed, these teachers will export you with stories they have made up. It's all about taking advantage of good and godly people for their own benefit. False teachers. False teachers. Last truth. False teachers are doomed for destruction. Look at the end of verse 3. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them. And their destruction has not been sleeping. Uh, imagine the metaphor. A guy standing in, in some church and he's preaching a false message and over their head is hanging condemnation. He says their condemnation is hanging over them. It's just a matter of time before it will be experienced. God says, judgment's not taking a nap. It's going to happen on these individuals. They are going to be judged for their teaching. It's going to be revealed. It's on the way. Then in verses 4 through 9, he gives us three illustrations to demonstrate that you can't sin and get away with it. The first one he uses is angels in hell. Look at verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. There was a rebellion in heaven, and during that rebellion, God took some of the angels and he cast them into hell, but not just hell. Apparently, somewhere in hell, there's a gloomy dungeon where these angels are being held until the final judgment. They were evil, and because they were evil, God cast them out, and now they are confined. They are being judged, and apparently, they are in some gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. The point that Peter is trying to make, if the angels cannot rebel against God and get away with it, what makes you think you're going to rebel 
and get away with it. They're being held right now in a dungeon, waiting for judgment. The next illustration he gives is from the flood. Look at verse 4, or verse 5. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. The ancient world refers to the world before the flood, pre-flood, when God looked down upon the world and he regretted that he made man. That's an anthropomorphic expression of God having feelings like a man because we can't understand it. Uh, God does not have regret, but it's a way that we can understand it. God remorsed that he created man, so he decided to destroy them with a flood. You know what happened? God sent the flood, and he preserved Noah and the seven individuals with him. But notice what he calls Noah. He calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. It means he was telling people how to be saved from the pending flood. And for 120 years, Noah preached the truth. I find a lot of comfort in Noah. 120 years he preached, and not one convert, not one. What did they do? They laughed at him. They made fun of him. They mocked it. I can see CNN now. They're broadcasting live from the ark. There's some idiot out here building an ark. It's never rained before, but he's building an ark and he's telling everybody that they better repent. They better uh, live their life because they're going to be flooded. Yeah, 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 Noah, real good. Probably lining up uh, some guys, our profiteers, lining up and, and taking trips out to see the local kook build an ark. <laughs> but the day came. And God got in the ark. And then God closed the door behind them. And guess what? The floods came. The floods came. And it wiped out all of mankind except for Noah and the seven that were with him. And one of these days, one of these days, God's going to send judgment upon the earth. You don't have to believe me. He's going to send judgment upon the earth. And the only way you're going to be saved is if you're in the ark. And the ark is Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you will be saved through the fire, through the flood of fire that is going to come in your life. Let me ask you a very pointed question today. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. Are you in the ark? Are you in Jesus Christ? Do you know for sure that if the judgment was to come today, that you'd be preserved through the fire because you're in Christ. If you don't know that, then when we have an invitation at the end of the service, you need to come down here and take me by the hand and say, Preacher, tell me how I can be saved from the judgment. Because it's going to come whether you believe it or not. The third, so the third illustration he gives us is that of Sodom and Gomorrah. He says that Sodom and Gomorrah, this is in verse 6, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. He says that Sodom and Gomorrah was burned to ashes. You know that archaeologists have, have discovered what they believe is the remnants of Sodom and Gomorrah and it was destroyed by fire and brimstone, just like the Bible says. It's down around the Dead Sea. And so it happened just like God says it was going to happen. It's burned to ashes. 
My wife says that if God doesn't destroy America, he'll have to say he's sorry to Sodom and Gomorrah. For us, just this past week, three states passed abortion all the way up to birth. Matter of fact, if the woman is in, in labor, they can abort that child if that woman decides it. Or they can deliver the child and then they can make a decision, do we want to kill that child or not? And there's Christians out there that defend that as a woman's right to choose. And they use Scripture to back it up. But when I read the Scripture, I say that all life comes from God. Hear me on this. What we would do to the most innocent in life, we would do to the most helpless. We would do to our elderly. What we do to our young and to our babies, we would do to the elderly when they are no longer productive in society, when they need machines to keep them alive, we will become God instead of God being God. Oh, God, have mercy on us. You say, well, I didn't do anything about it. Yeah, when you are silent or when you vote for someone that supports it. And that's not a platform. That's a biblical truth. By your complacency, you condone it. But we do it in the name of God, in the name of Scripture. I'm sorry, that just really grated on me this week when I saw that, and Christians standing up and defending it, defending it. Sodom and Gomorrah, burned ashes. Then he talks about Lot. He talks about Lot. He talks about how God delivered Lot. Look at what, what verse 7 he says, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men. Lot. He says God delivered Lot. Verse 7, he calls him righteous. That's interesting. If you go back and look at the story of Lot in Genesis, he's anything but righteous. He wasn't righteous in Sodom and he was definitely not righteous afterwards. You just don't get a good impression about Lot. But here you come almost to the end of the Bible almost in the Bible, and you find out that Lot was a righteous man. Here's the truth I give for you. Don't wait till you come to the end of your life for people to know that you're a righteous man or a righteous woman. Don't make it be the last time they come and look at your body and the preacher stands over your body and he delivers a eulogy. People say, wow, I didn't know he was saved. I didn't know he knew Jesus. It wasn't until we get to 2 Peter that we find out that Lot was really credited as a righteous man. Man, but you remember what happened a lot? Lot's a perfect example of the danger of compromise. When you first hear a lot, he cast his eyes towards Sodom. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. And then the next thing, he's living near Sodom. And the next time you find him, he's living in the cities of Sodom. And he's become a judge. He's become a leader in the city. He looked at it. It was attractive. He moved closer to it. He said, I think I'll go live right smack dab in the middle of them. And then he became one of the movers and shakers in the city. How do you know that? Because it says that when the, when the angels came, he was standing outside the city casting judgment. That's what they do. When they come to the city, he makes judgment for the people. 
He was becoming a leader in the city. See, that's what happens. That's what happens to you when you just begin to embrace a little bit of, a, of an ungodly lifestyle. You get a little closer, you get a little closer, you get a little and before long, you're totally involved in it. And you're not separated from it. So he moves into the city. The Bible says he's distressed by what he saw. That word distressed means it wore him out. He looks at the immorality around him and he's beaten down by the immorality. Well, eventually he just went along with it. Instead of being a witness, he goes, ah, I don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. People are going to do what they want to do. It says he was a righteous man, but he got used to the immorality that was around him. And then verse 8 describes the situation even more. He was tormented by it. He looked at what was going on and he was tormented by it. For the righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul. He saw what was going on and he was tormented by it. Listen, some people today who have pitched their tent towards Sodom and you've turned your life and you've turned your family into a living hell on earth. You would do whatever it takes to be popular. You hear me on this, students. You would do whatever it takes to be popular. You would do whatever it takes to be in the in crowd. You would do whatever it takes, young adult, to have that nice house, to have that nice car. You would do whatever it takes to get ahead in life. And the whole time you do it, you compromise your values. You compromise the truth of God's Word. You're casting your tent toward the world. I'm giving you a word of warning today. God's not going to let you get away with it. He's not going to let you get away with it. If the angels were judged for their disobedience, if the ancient world was judged for their disobedience, if Sodom and Gomorrah was judged for their disobedience, why do you think suddenly that God's going to turn a deaf eye, a deaf a deaf eye, a blind eye, a deaf ear to your disobedience? Are you better than these other people? God is consistent. He is consistent. But I want to give you some good news. I've been hard. Look at verse 9. If this is so, and that's not a con, yeah, this is so. Since this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and they hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment. That's some good news. What's the good news? The Lord knows. The Lord knows how to rescue you. The Lord knows how to deliver you. The Lord knows how to pull the godly people out. He knows how to rescue you. Maybe you're going through a trial today. No matter what it is. Maybe it's a physical trial. Maybe it's a financial trial. Maybe it's a spiritual trial. And you're being tempted to turn away from God and turn to something else. You're beginning to look at abandoning the truth and accepting untruth, accepting heresy. Listen, I don't care what you're going through. The Lord knows how to rescue you. He knows how to deliver you. He knows how to get you out of that situation. 
But you've got to turn to Him. Turn to Him. God knows. He knows what you're going through. And look, nothing ever happened that God did not know would happen. There's nothing going on in your life that God doesn't know. The question is, are you going to trust God or are you going to trust yourself? You've got to trust God. We're going to have a time of invitation. Give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard. Maybe there is somebody here that says, man, I, I need Jesus. You know, I need to be, I need to escape this judgment that's coming. You know, I've been buying into what the world has to say and not what God's Word has to say. Maybe there's somebody here who said, Pastor, tell me what I can do to be a follower of Christ, to be a follower of Jesus. We can help you with that this morning. Whatever decision God is leading you to make, we're going to invite you to come. As the praise team comes and leads us in a closing song, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to lead you in a time of prayer. And during this song of invitation, maybe you feel like God is speaking to your heart today and for you to respond to Him. We want to give you that opportunity. Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you for this opportunity that you've given to us to gather here, to worship, to pray, to give of our resources. Father, to read your word, to hear your word expounded, Father, to be challenged. Now, Father, all that's left for us to do is to respond to what we've heard. I pray, God, that you would touch hearts this morning whatever they may be experiencing, whatever they may be going through, I pray, God, that you would touch their hearts. If there's someone, Lord, that needs Jesus, today will be the day. If there's somebody, Father, that just wants to be closer to Jesus, today is the day. Touch our hearts, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.